0: So tonight we're going to continue our slow journey through this part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching us how to pray. We have spent a couple weeks, this is actually week three of our journey or whatever you want to call it, struggle maybe, the wrestle with finding out how to pray effectively. Man, we pray a lot. How many of you have prayed today? Hopefully everybody, right? Maybe, maybe you feel like your prayers don't get past the ceiling, right? Maybe, maybe it is a struggle to pray. Maybe we just kind of like throwing darts at a dartboard blindly, right? We're just saying all this stuff and hoping something sticks. But you know, our prayer has purpose, right? And it's important. Martin Luther, uh, you guys know I respect him a lot. Uh, he said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. So, so what we understand is that we, we can't live this life of Christ the right way, without having uh, an appropriate prayer life. But we've been talking about how do we pray effectively. And then we kind of push the envelope a little bit further and say, you know, if God is sovereign, if God knows the beginning from the end, then what's the point of it? Why even pray? If he knows what we're going to pray for, right, we'll find out uh, in a couple of passages later, in Matthew chapter 6, your Heavenly Father knows what you need. He actually said that a few weeks ago. He knows what you need. So why pray, right? Why do our prayers matter so much? Well, Jesus uh, helps us answer these questions as he teaches us about prayer. So what he gives us here uh, in verses 9 through 13 is kind of this template. Here is how you should pray. As a matter of fact, in verse 9 he says, pray then like this. He's showing us not what to pray, but how to go about praying. And so um, we we looked at this in, in a certain way. Uh, of how we are to to go about this with purpose and not waste our time. Um, Now, uh, here's something else we've got to focus on. What are our prayers supposed to do? Are our prayers supposed to change God's mind? We we talked about that last week. You know, um, are we supposed to to go to God with the the mindset of trying to direct Him to do what we think He ought to do? Well, the answer to that is no. That's not the purpose of, of prayer. We see in scripture uh, that we just mentioned, God is sovereign. That means he's in control and he knows what we need even before we ask him. Yet we also see in the scriptures that we are called to pray. It's a command for us to pray. He welcomes those prayers. We are told to pour out our hearts to God in earnest prayer. Now, what does that word earnest mean? Know? In know meaning. Meaningful, right? Heartfelt. We're supposed to literally bear our souls to God when we pray. You know, the Bible says that the righteous the the earnest prayer of a righteous man does what? Prayed. Avails much, right? What does that mean? It accomplishes a lot. So God does listen to our prayers, and God does act according to our prayer. So we understand that the purpose in our praying is not to change God, right? Rather we pray. So that we ourselves will be changed. Soren Kierkegaard. Anybody ever heard of Soren Kierkegaard? 19th century theologian. Um, he says prayer does not change God. But it changes him who prays. And if you have walked with God any amount of time. And you have, you have spent time in prayer. You understand the truth of that saying. right? You know that prayer changes us. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to God with my, my agenda. And I have bowed down before Him. I have said, "God, this is what I need. This is what I need." And I just begin to just and by the end of that prayer, I'm repenting for the first part of the prayer, because as I, I meet with God and as I pour my heart out to God, my focus, man, just gets aligned correctly. My priorities get adjusted the way that they need to be adjusted, and I get on His page. And so Jesus teaches us that is one of the main reasons why we pray, not so that God will do what we want him to do, not so that we will change God, but that God will change us and allow us to get on his page. And so the way that we pray effectively is focused here by Jesus in three different aspects. Last week, we talked about the person of God. Jesus says, when you pray, you must remember who you're praying to. He begins this passage by saying our father who are in heaven. So we are to focus on the person of God. He uses the word abinu, uh, which is the the plural form of Abba. What does Abba mean? Father, Father, but daddy. Intimate. God calls us to come to him like a child comes to their daddy. Crawl up in my lap. You are to pray This way, you are to pray to your daddy who is in heaven, but he says, remember that he is not your peer. You pray to God like he's your father, but be mindful of where that father is. He is seated on his throne in heaven. We gotta be careful that when we go before God, that we understand his person, that he loves us, and he desires for us to meet with him in prayer, but we are to do that reverently. We are to do that candidly, yet humbly. And now I can't tell you how many times I've gone to God ticked off, right? We talked about that last week. It's okay to not be okay when you go to God in prayer, but you can't stay there. Well, one of Job's kind of shortcomings in his journey and in his pain was that he began to speak about God and to God Like a peer. And what does God do at the end of Job? He calls him to account. Gird up your loins like a man, Job. Because I have some questions for you. And you must answer them. And you know what God said in that? He, he He didn't explain a thing about what Job was going through. You know what he did? He just declared who he was. He reminded Job of who he was talking to. And so God does not... God does not, um, he's not repulsed by our questioning. He wants us to pour our heart out, but we are to do that in a respectful way. We have a father who loves us, but he's in heaven and he is hallowed. What does hallowed mean? Hallowed be your name. What does that mean? We talked about that last week. I remember? Holy. It means holy, but it does. But it also means to make something holy. It is the source of holiness. Right? So we're called to be holy, but we're not hallowed. God makes us holy. The hallowed one makes us holy. So what does this mean? It means that he is seated in heaven. He has no equal. There is none that can compete with God. And so that means that when we pray, we understand, God, you're on a different level than us. But man, there's encouragement in that. We talked about this, and I pray this brings you encouragement. Because we know the person of God, that he is holy, and he is seated on his throne in heaven, there is not a prayer that you can pray that's over God's head. There's not a request that you can make that's too big for him. He holds all creation in his hand. You ever think about what we pray for? Health, safety, even the salvation of people. All of that, are create, all of those things are created things. And he knows them, and he holds them in his hand. And so we go to God confidently, knowing that he is God. He is supreme, and he reigns over all of his creation. And so we need to focus on the person of God. And so tonight we're going to move on. Or let me let me say this: and I, I felt like we just need to bring this out again. Um, the way we kind of brought all that together was how we approach God in prayer and remembering the person of God. The line, the witch, and the wardrobe. C.S. Lewis, he writes about um, the explanation or the description of Aslan, who was the lion. And you remember what, how, how he's described, if you've read the book or seen the movie, Mr. Beaver says, Lucy says, is, is he safe? And, and Mr. Beaver says, safe? No, he's not safe. He's the king, but he's good. And I said, we need to approach God the same way. He's, he, he's not safe. He's God. He's like that lion that's depicted in the Lion the wish, and the wardrobe, but he loves you. And so approach him cautiously, but approach him knowing that he desires to meet with you. So tonight we're going to move on to the second part. Uh, we're going to get away from God's person in prayer and move on to God's power and position in prayer. That's where Jesus leads us next in this passage, in my position, I'm not referring to a, a geographic position, right? God is omnipresent. What does that mean? There. He's everywhere all the time, right? So when we talk about God's position, we're talking about his position of authority and sovereignty as the divine controller of all things. And let me just say this. We don't have nearly enough time to exhaust all this as we get into God's kingdom uh, I'm very limited in what I can preach to you outside of, of what God's Word says uh, about God's kingdom. But I'm going to tell you what we know, and I, I do feel like I'm uh, I'm kind of over my head a little bit when we talk about this. MacArthur said, he said, when you begin to talk about God's sovereignty and God's kingdom, it's like standing it's like standing on the beach with a bucket trying to soak up the whole ocean. You just can't do it. We're we're, we're getting into the big league stuff here. But Jesus wants us to understand not only the person of God, but what God is capable of and what God commands of us in our prayer. So we don't have to understand it fully. We won't until we see him face to face, but we have to believe it. And that's where I hope we will lead uh, tonight. So Matthew chapter six, we're only going to focus on part of verse 10, but I want to read the whole prayer to you to bring it into context before I unpack it. Verse nine, he says, pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So here here we see Jesus Revealing the power and position of God as we pray to him. I want you to notice what he says. He says, after you understand who you're talking to, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Once you have that understanding, then I want you to move into where he is and what you're to pray for. We are to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what exactly is he talking about Um, as americans we are kind of at a a disadvantage a little bit when the bible refers to a kingdom why is that we don't live in a kingdom right we 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 actually we we live in a in what's supposed to be a constitutional republic right Um, many of us believe that we are we are governed as a democracy but we're not Democracy, true democracy, is that every person's will is heard and honored. That's what true democracy is. Everybody gets their day, right? How's that work? Uh, doesn't work very well, right? Doesn't work very well in the church. Doesn't work very well anywhere, right? True democracy uh, with imperfect people never effectively works. We are governed by a piece of literature called what? The Constitution, right? And the people that we elect into office are, are told and commanded to do what? In charge to uphold that constitution, right? They are not sovereign leaders of the nation, right? The constitution is the sovereign guide of how we're governed, right? So we, we live under a constitutional republic. We have a document that tells us how we're supposed to live, and our people that we, we, we hire or vote into office— are called and supposed to uphold that constitution. Um, A monarchy is where you have a king or a queen, and they are the sovereign leader of that kingdom. What does that mean, to be the sovereign leader? They're totally in charge of everything. What they say, go. Totally in charge, right? They make the rules. They enforce the rules. If you don't like the rules, they kill you or kick you out, right? The good ones kick you out, the bad ones kill you, right? Just read about Henry Eighth, Sovereign leader, didn't like you, cut your head off, right? And they had that right to do that as the monarch or the king of that kingdom. Now, here's the thing. Um, we, as Christians, are called to not live in a democracy, to not live in a constitutional republic. We're not even called to live in a monarchy, We are called to live under the rule of what's called a theocracy. Here's why a theocracy is different than a monarchy. Um, A theocracy means that there is one sovereign ruler who can never be overthrown. In a monarchy, it was just the strongest power was the one in rule, right? If someone wanted to start a revolt and rise up and they overthrew the king, then they would take charge, right? A theocracy says that God is seated on his throne and will never be dethroned. But the same principle applies as in a monarchy. He is the sovereign ruler over all of his creation, and he can do with his creation what he chooses to do. And so when we see in the the Bible and scriptures talking about the kingdom of God, we have to understand it as the kingdom being a part of a leader who has sovereign control. And we get lost on that, don't we? In our in our country, in the way that we've grown up, and the the blessings that we've been afforded, we we feel entitled to certain things. If we don't like something, we feel like we can voice our opinion about it, right? And if we cause enough fuss, we can get a change made, right? But that doesn't work in the kingdom. In a kingdom, the sovereign ruler has sovereign control, and we cannot usurp his authority. Okay. So when Jesus tells us, here's how you should pray, your kingdom come, it puts us in a very specific place with God, right? Not as peers, but as people who are under his authority. So let's talk about this for just a minute. Um, we, we get in this place as, as Christians, when we come to Christ, there are two things that are that are asked of us, that are commanded of us, that help us become kingdom people. Two things: submission and obedience. Now, they're two different things. Submission is bringing yourself under the authority of your leader. Right? We don't like that word, do we? Ugh, submission, especially women—they've probably been beat over the head with it so many times in the wrong context. We don't like that word, submission. But when we come to Christ, we are called to submit to his authority and control of our life. Obedience means that we not only bring ourselves under his authority, but we do what he asks us to do. And so part of being a part of the kingdom is that we exercise submission under the rule of our king and we obey the king. No questions asked. It's not an issue. It's not up for discussion. You follow his rule and you do what he says. Now, Not until we submit to the authority that is over us will we ever be truly at peace as a Christian. A lot of the reasons why we struggle as Christians is because there's areas of our life that we have not submitted to him. We have not turned over to him totally. And here's the thing. We we live and the sin nature in us makes us think that somehow we can compete with God's rule in our life, don't we? There's times in our life we think, I can do that better than what God's telling me to do it, the way God's telling me to do it. I have a better way of doing it. And so we, we begin to battle with God. But remember, we're in a theocracy. We'll never dethrone our king. And here's the cool thing about the gospel. The Bible tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He went ahead and paid the price for our freedom to become parts of the kingdom while we were still battling him to be an authority over the kingdom. That's what, that, that's what that text says. And so God loved us so much that, that he saved us from his wrath through Christ and bought us while we're still fighting it. That's pretty cool. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll catch that tonight before you go to bed. be like, oh man, that was a great thing. You'll meditate on it. Give glory to God, not me. So true salvation is when we submit to the authority of, of God over our lives, and we commit to live the rest of our lives under his lordship. You hear me talk about this a lot. Christ cannot be your savior and not your lord. He cannot be your savior and not your lord. If he is your savior, he will be your lord. And what does it mean if he's your lord? He's your king, and he rules over you. That's what it means to be saved, right? That you willingly submit and become a part of his kingdom. And the reason why I wanted to explain all that first was because unless we understand what a kingdom is, we won't understand how to pray your kingdom come. Unless we understand how important it is to submit to his kingdom, we won't know how to pray your kingdom come. So we've got to understand what a kingdom actually consists of. Now I do want to talk about the word kingdom itself. What, what, when we talk about a kingdom what is that referring to? You have to have a king, you have to have a dominion. Okay. What's a dominion? What's a dominion? Well, well, the earth is a dominion. This right. church is a dominion. It's a perimeter? Yeah, perimeter. Right? The king of England, Where's his? what's his dominion? Or oh, she's the queen now. Mm-hmm. What's her dominion? Great Britain, right? Right. Her, her rule doesn't extend out there. She's not the queen of the United States, right? every king or queen has a dominion right and now it's not limited to geography a kingdom or the ruler of a kingdom is anywhere that king has rule and reign okay Um, a true king or kingdom is anywhere where where that king or leader has rule or reign now the kingdom of God that Jesus is speaking of here goes so much deeper than just a physical location. Yes, sir. People. people, right, right. All of that encompasses a kingdom, right? So it's geography, um, it's power, it's also people, right? Make up a kingdom. And so when we talk about the kingdom of God, it goes so much deeper than just a physical location. When we talk about the kingdom of God, most of us automatically assume that we're talking about where? <clears throat> Heaven right, because that's where God's throne is, and that is a part of the kingdom of God. But God's kingdom extends so much further than that. It is anywhere God has the power to rule and to reign. Of course, that does include all the earth, right? Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, right? The world and those who dwell in it. That's all God's. So what does that mean? This is God's kingdom. Well, wait a second. Something happened. When we sinned and the fall occurred, sin into the world, and this, the key, so to speak, to this world was handed over to whom? Satan. Satan, right? He is now the ruler of this world. The Bible says that. He is the ruler over this world. So not everything on this earth is under the reign of God anymore, right? It's not because it was taken away. It's because God gave it up. Amen. We're going to talk about that a little bit more as we get into God's will. Um, but the reason for that is He is setting up this amazing finale. The reason why He handed the keys over is so that at the end He can take it back. And that's going to be a great time. We won't get to be a part of that. But that's a, a sermon for, for another time. But we also know that God's rule and reign aren't limited to time and space, it's people, it's lives. Wherever God is Lord, that's where his kingdom is. So how many of you are believers? Just call you out. If you're a believer, you're part of God's kingdom. You are the kingdom. The kingdom of God is right here in this fellowship hall. Why? Because God is ruling and reigning, hopefully, in your life. He is king, and so therefore you are his kingdom. So what does this mean? How, How does this play into this? Um, we must see that the kingdom of God is not just some future place that, is, that doesn't exist yet. The kingdom is alive and well right now. And it's alive and well on the earth. And God is ruling and reigning right now. Matthew chapter three, John the Baptist came and he said, repent of your sins because the kingdom, what, is at hand. Mm-hmm. Matthew chapter four, Jesus comes on the scene and says the same thing repent for the kingdom as it hand is at hand who was he referring to who, who was christ and john the baptist referring to when they talked about the kingdom being at hand jesus so the kingdom is not just a place the kingdom is bound up in a person namely jesus christ how do we know that look at the life of jesus jesus was the epitome of the kingdom why Because he was completely submitted to the rule and reign of his father. I must be about my father's business. So so the totality of God's reign is the the termination of the kingdom, right? As, As God is allowed to rule and reign more and more, the kingdom becomes more and more known. And so Jesus epitomized that. He came to do exactly what his father, the king, wanted him to do. And so that's how he could say the kingdom of God is at hand. You're seeing the kingdom when you look at me because God reigns in me. So does that make sense? We know what a kingdom is. And we know that the kingdom is, is not limited to just a place, but it is people. It's deeper than just heaven. It's deeper than just a place. God's kingdom encompasses all things that are under his rule and under his reign. So um, let, me, let me get into this a little bit more. When we become Christians, we begin to become. We begin to be a part of the kingdom, and we will never go outside of that. Do you understand that? When you started your relationship with Christ, you began a journey that will never end. When we get to heaven, it doesn't necessarily mark the beginning of a new journey. There'll be new things. But this relationship with Christ, with God that we've built through Christ, that we started at salvation, is a continuation once we get into eternity. what we're, The journey we're on is an eternal journey. So, we are as much a part of the kingdom now as we ever will be. Okay, I want you to understand that. Our understanding of the kingdom gets widened as we see the manifestation of it in heaven. But we are just as much a part of the kingdom today today right now, as we ever will be. That's exciting news, too. You'll get that later on tonight, too, before you go to bed. So, we've got to understand this. When we submit and we obey Christ, it's an act of worship. Our eternity in heaven will be spent worshiping God. How? Through submission to his rule and reign in us and our obedience through whatever he wants us to do in heaven. And that's manifested in worship, showing God how much he's worth to us. So I want you to just understand this. What we're doing today as the people of God only will continue throughout eternity. So here's my question to us. Something to just think about. The extent that you are submitting and obeying under the reign of Christ right now, is is that a, a level of submission and obedience that you're comfortable with going throughout eternity? When you finally see him face to face and you know him as he is known, will the desire for you to submit and obey become greater then than it is now? The point I'm trying to make is the opportunity for us to shine as brightly as possible for the kingdom is available to us right now. And when we get to heaven, the fullness of that will be what our hearts desire. So the question is is it what your heart desires today? living on this earth as the people of God, do you desire to shine as the kingdom right now? Or are you waiting till you get to heaven and get all the, the benefits? We're missing out if we wait to become people of the kingdom. So um, right now, can you imagine? Let me, let me just put this to you. God is in control of all things. He hands over the keys to the earth, to the rule of this world. And Satan is wreaking havoc, right? He has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Yet even in this world, this earth of destruction and lies and decay, God manages to have parts and glimmers of his kingdom shining in a fallen world. Now, how do you think that makes Satan feel? That he can't have anything that he is in complete control over. That even in a world that's tormented, and torn apart by sin, God still reigns. God still has rule in a fallen creation. And you and I are examples of God's victory over the earth. When the world looks at us and sees us reigning, and sees us submitting in obedience, and being the kingdom of God, it proves that God has not lost this world. I was praying this this afternoon. I kind of get in a funk sometimes. And I see the news and I see what's going on. And I go, you know what? It just is what it is. That's just the way the world's going. Anybody ever been like that? It ain't going to get no better. You know, I feel like that a lot. And this afternoon, man, I just had to repent. Because here's the truth. It is going to get better. It is going to get better. It's not going to stay this way. As strong as Satan may seem right now, he's only as strong as God allows him to be. God's in control of Satan. And God's in control of what Satan is in control of right now. This earth, this war-torn, sin-filled earth, still has glimmers of hope. It's you and I. Parts of the kingdom. And I you that makes Satan mad, doesn't it? He can't completely have control over what's really God's. That's encouraging. That ought to bring us hope this evening. So, we are the glimmers of the kingdom shining in this world. So I also want you to see this too. So the kingdom of God is here on earth right now, and it's in us. It's in our obedience and submission. But there is a coming a time and a place where we will join a physical location. I want you to turn to Revelation twenty-one, if you have your Bibles. I don't want to get off track too far, but I just feel like we need to read this. We may not read it often. Revelation twenty one There is a kingdom that is coming, and we will be joined to it one day. Revelation 21, 1 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice. From the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anywhere, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, get this. I am making all things new. Also he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers, who will have his heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. That's when the The kingdom that's in heaven right now will merge with the kingdom that's on earth. And God said he'll make all things new and everything that we wrestle with and everything that we struggle with today will be wiped away. That's what we want. That's what we hope for. But it's not here yet. This is the picture in Revelation 21 of the consummation of the kingdom where we will no longer have to submit and obey from a distance. And there will be no longer any hindrance to our obedience. There will no longer be any question to whom we're to submit to. And do you guys struggle with that right now? We wrestle not only with ourself in obedience to God, but with outside influences, right? When God makes all things new, those distractions, those hindrances are wiped away. And we will be able to fully be everything he wants us to be. The bride will be united with a group. That is what we look forward to, but it is not yet come. The kingdom will be complete on that day. And here's what I want you to remember about this. this what we just read in Revelation 21 is not a fairy tale. I know there's some times that we, we think, man, is this ever going to happen? Are we ever going to get to this place where God is going to come back? I know that sometimes when we look at the world and we look at how hard it is to live here, we can think, man, is this just a figment of my imagination? Is this really coming to be? Let me encourage you this evening. This is not just a story on a page. This is going to come to be. God is going to call his church to come be with him. And we will be a part of the kingdom. And we will see Christ as he is. And we will reign with him for all eternity. It will happen. It's coming, it is a reality for us. It's complete, it's perfect. The eternal reign will be forever. And here is, is, is kind of where I come to the end of my ability to really describe what the kingdom of God is really about. I don't know what it looks like for the kingdom to truly exist unhindered and unfettered. I don't know what it's like, but I do know that it's coming. I know that there is coming a day where God is going to reign over me and I'll be in his presence as he reigns. And all these questions that I have in my mind, all these doubts that I have in my mind will be wiped away. I will know the level of intimacy that comes with being in the kingdom of God with God right there. I will know what it's like to experience perfection and completeness in the kingdom of God. And my heart longs for it. I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know what it looks like, but I want it. And I guarantee you, if you've walked with Christ any amount of time, if you know what it's like to truly be a part of the kingdom, your heart longs for it too. We crave to go be with Him, and it's not wrong. And we'll see that here in just a minute. And that's where we get to the point. So, what does all that have to do with prayer? Why did I go through all this about a kingdom and what a kingdom is to get back to the issue of how we are to pray? Jesus says, we are to pray your kingdom come. Now you have to put it all together. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done, what? On earth as it is in heaven. So when he says you pray your kingdom come, we're not just praying for some future event, right? We're not praying for just Revelation 21. We're praying that the kingdom would be known and would come here right now. So what does that look like? Well, we talked about the consummated kingdom where we're joined with God. But right now in heaven, right now in heaven, there are angels and saints who are experiencing this right now, right? They are doing his bidding. God's will and God's way is going forth unhindered, right? Right? Unforced, and people are anticipating being ruled over by God. God's kingdom is operating exactly the way He wants it to operate right now in heaven. He commands an angel to go do something. The angel what? Does it. Doesn't ask questions, doesn't try to compromise. His kingdom, right? He has rule and reign, and that's what happens, right? So that's taking place right now. There is no opposition, there's no competition with His reign. And so what God is, or what Jesus is telling us, is pray that that will happen here, just like it's happening in heaven right now. Pray that God's reign is as complete and unhindered now as it will be when we're in heaven with him. Now, how many of you think that's kind of a foreign concept? Can that happen? Is it a possibility? The point Jesus is making is that we need to pray for completeness of God's reign kingdom what does that mean i think it means three things um and this is important because these things dictate the way we pray for the kingdom first to pray your kingdom come references the work of jesus remember we we said jesus is the epitome of the kingdom right because he was under complete and full submission to the father so what did jesus come to earth to do to do the father's will which was what? I've come to seek and to save those who are lost, right? I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. At the heart of both of those texts, what's there? The gospel, salvation. The purpose and work of Jesus was to come and ransom a people from this world for God, right? And so the kingdom is people being ushered in to come under the rule in the reign of God. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying for people to literally come into the kingdom. Father, may your kingdom come. May people understand that you are ruler, that you are the sovereign Lord and king, and may they submit to that. That's what salvation is, right? We said earlier, Submission to the king is salvation. And so we pray, Your kingdom come. That means, Lord, come rule in us. Psalm chapter 2. Go with me there if you don't mind this evening. Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. I'm going to go ahead and read it for time's sake. And I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. This psalm, Psalm chapter 2 is what's known as a messianic psalm. What does that mean? What's a messianic psalm? That's right. It's a psalm that foretells the coming of the Christ. Psalm 22 is one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, right? The 23rd Psalm is a Messianic Psalm. So a Messianic Psalm is a psalm that points to the coming Messiah. And so David is writing about Jesus. He's writing about the purpose of why he came. Look at what he says. The nations rage. The king rages. The Hebrew there means they noisily assemble. Now why would the nations want to assemble together? What's the purpose of that? Why, why, why might that be? Overthrow? Yeah. They're gathering their troops because they're going to take over the creation, right? That's whether we're going to overthrow the king of the earth. That's what they're saying. Mm-hmm. But what does it say in verse 4? He who sits in the heaven does what? Laugh. <laughs>, Laughs. It's a theocracy, bro. You're not going to overthrow me. Here's my purpose. Here's my plan. Instead of you plotting against me, I'm going to send my son into my kingdom. And here's what he decrees. What? He gives his son the nations. I'm going to send Jesus to be the epitome of the kingdom to win the kingdom back to me. That's the purpose of praying your kingdom come. Making a way for the nations to, to be saved. So here's what Jesus is urging. When you pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that every bondage, every every hindrance to people coming to the gospel is broken. That's what we're to pray. But it goes deeper than that. The second thing that we notice in this, as we pray for the kingdom to advance to the nations coming to Christ, we are also praying that the rule and reign in the saved would be unhindered and powerful. What do you think I mean by that? Those of us who are already a part of the kingdom, don't we fight against this kingdom sometimes? Don't we fight against the rule that God has over us this side of eternity? Jesus is saying, not only pray for those to come, but for those who are already a part of the kingdom, pray that they will be able to rule and reign with Christ unhindered. This is talking about the church, that the church would be Greatly distinguishable from the rest of the world. There should be a difference in the world and the church, right? People should know what team you play for, right? Hopefully. And so Jesus is saying, pray that those who are a part of the kingdom would shine like the kingdom. Pray that they are unhindered in that, and that just like the angels do his bidding in heaven right now, that the church would fulfill and do everything that they're supposed to do on earth. True conversion, here's what he's saying, pray that those who come to Christ from the nations, that true conversion would result in obvious discipleship. You know what this does? Man, this smacks modern day evangelicalism right in the face. We have been taught over and over and over again foolishly that conversion is all that matters get your card right and jesus says it's not about being a convert i preached about this the other week it's not about being a convert it's about being a disciple it's not about just starting the journey it's about walking the journey with christ people of the kingdom walk this journey with jesus and pray that they walk this journey unhindered and that their allegiance to the kingdom, outweighs their allegiance to anything else. He's talking about discipleship. So we have evangelism, we have discipleship right here in these two things. And then thirdly, we, we pray. When Jesus says pray for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, he's telling us to actually pray for the kingdom to come. We are to pray that he will come and fulfill what he promised he would do in Revelation 21. How many of you pray for that? Yeah. Many times we pray for it just because we're tired of being here. right? <laughs> and that's okay, I think, sometimes. But we are supposed to pray for the kingdom to come. Yes, sir. Yeah, I've just been amazed from what you said tonight. I've been in the study of the book of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And the book of Isaiah is almost identically what you're preaching on tonight. And saying tonight did just... Amazed me to hear what you're saying that I'm presently studying in the old testament. I can't believe it. Yeah. And that's what Isaiah Isaiah is about. So real. Absolutely. Absolutely. And here's what I want you to see. We we can hurry that day up. Did you know that? We can hurry that day up. Here's how. Um these three things: the evangelism, the discipleship, and the coming of the kingdom, the kingdom in heaven are all tied together. Let me explain. Matthew 24, 14 says the gospel must be preached throughout the earth as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. So what's holding up the end? The gospel being preached, right? Preach the gospel to all the nations and the end will come. You want Jesus to come back? Preach him. It's what Jesus said in Matthew 24. But how do we do that? Before the consummation of the kingdom comes, we've got to talk about the the kingdom. Well, how does that happen? Romans chapter 10. How will they hear without a what? A preacher. Who's that preacher? Not me. the The church is the vehicle God uses to evangelize the world. God could have used any other option in creation to bring the gospel to people. But you know what he chose to use? People who have been affected by the gospel. To me, that sounds like a pretty cool business strategy, right? I'll use somebody that's already bought into the product to sell the product. Works pretty good, doesn't it? We we buy things based on testimonials, do we not? Right? Well, it worked for him, so it should work for me. Jesus says, listen, when what's happened in your life becomes true and real and valuable, you'll want to share that with everybody else. And as you do that, and as the gospel is preached because of what's happened in you, eventually the end's going to come. And these things are tied together. So, again, how does this affect our praying? I hope the answer is obvious. By praying that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, Means that we desire His rule and reign to come and indwell all of us unhindered and complete. What that means is that we want Him more than we want anything else. So that when we bow our knee in prayer, there's a lot of things that we need to pray for, but first and foremost, our desire is to pray that His kingdom would rule and reign over anything else. We get to all the requests and all that stuff that comes, but first, God, first we want to know who you are, who we're praying to. And then we want you to know that your kingdom matters more to us than anything else. None of that prayer has anything to do with our own little kingdoms, does it? None of that your kingdom come has anything to do with make my kingdom bigger, does it? Nothing that Jesus tells us to pray right here in this passage says anything about... Us advancing ourselves or us getting to a better place. That stuff comes. But as far as importance goes, remember Jesus is teaching us how to pray. The template is know who you're talking to and know what to ask for. And The first thing is pray for his kingdom to come. So we're not asking Jesus to get on board with us. We're saying we want to get on board with you. Praying for his kingdom to come means that our focus is on greater, more eternal things. It, it focuses our, our minds and our hearts on what is to come and what, what is real and what lasts and what matters in eternity. And I find myself praying for just temporal things all the time. The river of life. The river of, lo- the river of life? Yes. What about it? It's up there. It's up there. It's up there. It's up there. Yeah, it's there. It's there, and we'll see it. We'll see it one day. Um, when we pray, "Your kingdom come," it says we care more about the work of God for the sake of the kingdom than the work of God for our own sake. You get that? When we pray the kingdom, Your kingdom come. What we're saying is, we we want you to work for the sake of your kingdom more than you work for the sake of us. Put you in the right perspective. And then thirdly, praying the kingdom uh, kingdom come on earth also reveals that we understand that everything we seek and everything that we truly desire for ourselves is really just bound up in the kingdom. If the kingdom comes, every need that we have is met. Amen. If his kingdom, if he's, if he's allowed to rule and reign unhindered in our life, we, we'll have everything we need. The things that we go to God and we think we've got to have from him just kind of fade away in light of the kingdom and so the question as we close first is do you belong to the kingdom that's the first question do you belong to the kingdom and here's how you know does he rule and reign in your life is he the king or are you for him to rule and reign in your life means you are a part of the kingdom you can't go any further in praying this if you're not a part of the kingdom and secondly, the question is, is the kingdom the focus of your prayers? And do you find yourself praying, God, bless me, right? Exalt me, my own little kingdom. Or are you focused on his? And are you looking for the day when what is here and what is in your heart is united with what is already taking place in heaven? Jesus says this is the focus of effective prayer. The souls of men in the reign of God. That's what matters in eternity. The souls of men in the reign of God. He says, let that be your primary focus. Next, next week, we're going to get off on his will. Not only do we pray for his kingdom to come, but we pray for his will to be done. So all these desires of your heart, all these things that you're questioning, man, well, what am I supposed to pray for? Those things are bound up in his will. we're going to get there. And, and let me just say this about it. It's not wrong to pray for lesser things. It's not. It's not wrong to pray for the desires of your heart. It is wrong to put those things ahead of the kingdom. You get that? It's not wrong to pray for lesser things, but make sure they remain lesser things in our heart. We'll talk about that next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had, and Lord, I just pray that Lord, as we meditate on this passage, Lord, I know that we got kind of deep in some areas, and, and Lord, we um, there's some things that maybe we've never thought about before, and I know that we, uh, we'll probably have to go home and chew on this a lot, because Lord, there's aspects of our prayer life that don't line up with this. I know mine does not all the time. Lord, there are things that I pray for that boost my own kingdom, that uh, try to help me stay on the throne of my life, and God, how foolish of me to think that you would grant uh, something in my life that would compete with you. Instead, Father, you've told me to pray that your rule and your reign would trump anything in my life. And so, Lord, I pray that would be the case for all of us in this place tonight. Lord, what would it look like? What would it look like if the church began to pray this way? Mm-hmm. We begin to pray that the kingdom would be the focus. The kingdom would be all that mattered. I believe you change the world. I believe that's the desire of your heart. And so, Lord, I also believe that you're the only one that can bring that about. And so, Lord, I pray that in your goodness and in your grace and in your power that you would do that through us. First of all, you move our hearts to a place where we desire to do that. And then you would equip us. Lord, to do just that, and Lord, that you would receive all the glory and honor for it. Because, Father, we, we stand in here tonight and we bow before you, Lord, humbly acknowledging that you are the only one worthy, Lord, of anything in our lives that is of significance. Lord, we know that it comes from you and it's for your glory alone. And so, Lord, may we desire for that to be the reason why we exist, for your kingdom. So, Father, we just ask that you bring that about. And we pray these things in the precious and holy and good name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.